I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Please sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com for weekly updates about my podcasts, events, and more. Also, follow me on Instagram at zibbyowens and also at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. And finally, join my virtual book club called Zibby's Virtual Book Club, which meets every other Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time until 3 p.m. and features half an hour of book club discussion, followed by 30 minutes of Q&A with the author whose book we've just discussed. You can sign up on my website, zibbyowens.com, under the virtual book club section, or even on Instagram under the link in my bio. I hope you'll find me in all these different channels and enjoy this podcast. I don't know about any of you, but I am still obsessed with Mindy Kaling after her amazing appearance on The Office. Um, She is also an author, for those of you who don't know. This is her third work. It's called Nothing Like I Imagined, and it's an Amazon original story. It's a collection of short stories, six of them, about how she juggles life as a new mom, actress, and Hollywood power bruncher. And her story collection is actually the sponsor of this episode. Uh, It was written and narrated by Mindy, and it's great to listen to on the go, available in audio and ebook format. Prime members can listen and read it for free. So you can download this today at amazon.com slash Mindy Stories. That's amazon.com slash Mindy Stories. It's absolutely hilarious, and just you will not want to stop reading. So check it out today, amazon.com slash Mindy Stories. Victoria Montgomery Brown is co-founder and chief executive officer of Big Think. It's become the leading digital media knowledge company, making people and companies smarter and faster with the world's best thinkers and doers. Her new book is Digital Goddess, The Unfiltered Lessons of a Female Entrepreneur. Victoria graduated from Montreal's McGill University and received her MBA from Harvard Business School, which I did too, and she was in my class. Welcome, Victoria. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks, Sibby. This is a great pleasure. 
This is so nice. I think you are my third classmate from HBS to be on my podcast. I had Lee Carpenter and Charles Duhigg and now you. So look at this. It's great. (laughs) Charles interviewed me three weeks ago on Big Think, actually, for the book. I was like, who could be a great interviewer? Charles. Yes, he did. He was awesome. Well, that's great. You all are just so accomplished and it's a pleasure to be able to talk to you. And now you've written this great book, Digital Goddess, The Unfiltered Lessons of a Female Entrepreneur, which is amazing. And you were just telling me, I'm seeing this before you. So this is the copy of your, your book, at least the advanced copy, which looks great. And congratulations. So Victoria, you've already like founded this amazing company, Big Think. Why also write a book? What made you want to sit down and share all your lessons with the rest of us? Which by the way, thank you. I appreciate it. (laughs) You're welcome. I think it was because essentially over the years, probably mostly in the last five years, I've received lots of emails from young women who are aspiring entrepreneurs. I mean, obviously it takes a while to build a successful business and Big Think is is doing well now, and we reach about 40 million people a month. And so I think because of that, women started to reach out to me and ask, well, you know, I have an interest in being an entrepreneur too. How did you do it? And my business partner, actually, Peter Hopkins, was the one who really encouraged me to do it. It's like, you have a unique perspective. There are female entrepreneurs, but not a ton of them. And a lot of them don't become the CEO. So I think it would be good for you to write a book and explain how you did it or how we did it, for especially for young women, but it's really for entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs at any stage or age. As you were talking, by the way, I realized I also had Jeff Norton on my podcast. He was also in our class. So anyway, okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, guys, for women CEOs and entrepreneurs. Could you just share the story that you wrote about in the book, which was hilarious? I mean, scary in its own right as well, but when you were called into the police department <laughs> and yes. have to share with your investors all the craziness of what happened after your prior job incident? Yes. Well, so I say in the book that I was arrested, but I actually was talking to, yes, my criminal defense attorney, who is my friend now from years ago. And he corrected me and said, I was not actually arrested because there's no record of it. All of it was expunged. So in the moment I was arrested, but not legally. In any case, it was, I think, November or December of 2007. So literally a few weeks before Big Think was about to launch. And a big story was coming out in the New York Times, I think on January 7th, with Larry Summers, who was the former president of Harvard and former Treasury Secretary, talking about why he had decided to be an initial investor in Big Think. So this was a huge deal. It was maybe the second page of the New York Times business section. And I was walking out of Union Square subway station. It was the era of flip phones, (laughs) unbelievably. And I got a call from a number I didn't recognize. And typically, I don't answer phone calls from numbers I don't recognize. But something told me to answer this call. And I did. I picked up the phone. And there was a guy's voice with like a, a strong New York accent and sounded kind of laughing, like a laughing tone. And he introduced himself as a senior detective from the NYPD and told me that I needed to come into a specific precinct. And me being, I don't know, naive or something, had never been, had dealt, never had any dealings with the police or anything like that. And so I just put on my good girl hat and was like, oh my gosh, I've got to get into a car, go. I went directly to the, to the police station. I called my dad on the way and he said, 
what are you doing? Like, you don't even know why you're going. Get out of the car. But I kept going. I arrived at the precinct. There was a man there dressed in civilian clothes, I guess you call them, waiting for me. And he was just totally laughing. But it was a big deal. And I was arrested again, whatever, expunged later. But, and I sat in a room with a one-way mirror for maybe three hours. And I think it was just intimidation tactics of some kind. And somebody that I had previously worked for was not pleased that I had left and called into a flurry of activity, basically the, the New York justice system. And it was terrifying. But as I say in the book, I could have basically just hidden this from, from our investors or denied it, pretended it didn't happen. As soon as I came out, my business partner and I started calling our investors. I called the majority of them. Peter actually called Larry because he knew him better at that stage than I did and just fessed up to what had happened. And one of our classmates is actually the lead investor in Big Think, David Frankel. So he was the first person I called. And I had no idea what to expect from any of these people. Would they be mad? Would they disavow me? Would they want to divest? Etc. You know, they had no idea what the outcome was going to be, nor did I. And so anyway, I was pleasantly surprised. They all supported me. And it told me a lesson that's been fundamental for this entire duration of Big Think and being an entrepreneur is get out in front of the bad news as quickly as you can. Be as honest and as blunt as possible. And people will support you. I mean, I, I mentioned in the book at some stage, the story of Elizabeth Holmes. And you know, once you start digging yourself into a hole, it's really difficult to get out and you actually have to dig deeper. So I learned immediately that you just got to, you have to be honest and as much as it's painful, that's the thing to do. So true. It's like, even with my kids, I'm like, I'm not even that upset that you stole the cookie. I'm more upset that you lied about stealing the cookie. <laughs> you know, it's like the yeah. same thing. It's like somehow the lies themselves make whatever it was almost pale in comparison to the fact that you then can't trust the person because once you don't have trust in your relationship, what else is left? Right. So yeah, um, yeah, usually you don't have to learn it in such a dramatic, you know, (laughs) law and order type way, but I'm glad that you, uh, (laughs) you live this for the rest of us. That's crazy. And just for the people who aren't familiar with big thing, do you want to just explain what it is and why you founded it to begin with and sort of what people can get out of it? Yeah, sure. So Big Think is a global knowledge forum with leading thinkers and influencers. So we say to be on Big Think, you have to be at the top of your field or disrupting it. Everybody from Nobel laureates to business leaders, politicians, artists, academics. We've had everybody on from the likes of Elon Musk to Richard Branson, Larry Summers. It's global. It's international. We reach around 40 million people a month. The large majority of it is free. So it's short form video and also articles. And then we also have a subscription side of it, which is much more focused on professional and personal growth and development. So we've been around since 2008 and it's growing. It's, I don't know, it's something I'm very proud of because we saw when we started it, a dearth of thoughtful content on the internet. And so we thought, look, we kind of, we pitched it to our investors as Davos democratized. So for people who don't know, Davos is this thing, which is probably not happening this year, but that happens every, oh, well, next year in January in Switzerland, where notable business leaders and world leaders, and Bono, get together. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think he's always there. I don't know, but I've never been. But they get together in the, in the Alps and they talk about global issues. And 
all of these incredible people get exposed to other incredible, notable people, but the likes of me and other people don't get to go and participate. And so we thought, why don't we create a scenario where regular people have access to the, to the minds of incredible thought leaders. And so we created Big Think and we pitched it to initial investors as Davos Democratized. And so it's grown from there, but the fundamental principles of it haven't changed. We really do want to expose like incredible people to our audience and in ways that is not of the moment. So it's not about what's happening politically today, yesterday, tomorrow. It's really what can this person, whether they be a politician or a business leader or an artist, teach you or I that we can put it into our own work or lives and make ourselves and our, and our lives better and, and those around us. So we say that it has to be, it stands the test of time. Now, are there moments when we do do something that's of the moment? Yes, but 90 to 95% of the content we create is evergreen. Excellent. When you, like, do you go on it and tune up on certain topics yourself? I absolutely do. So for instance, we had recently, I suppose it was about one of our last in-studio interviews before COVID with Robin D'Angelo, who wrote White Fragility, the book. And so she gave a masterclass for Big Think on confronting racism. And that to me was really profound and interesting. So yes, I do go on and learn about topics that I didn't know about all the time. The moment is interesting for us because we're doing a lot of this type of interviewing where, where before we'd had people come into our studio. And what's been interesting, and I don't know if you found this, it's been much easier for us to have access to guests because I interviewed Penn Jillette, the magician, I suppose about six weeks ago. And typically it would take maybe six months to book him. And he lives in Las Vegas. So getting on a plane to come to New York or us going to Las Vegas, big barriers to entry. And now doing things like this, it just, it's, it's been so much easier. I mean, I think next week we're interviewing Malcolm Gladwell. We've done him, we've interviewed him maybe three times before, but again, it's typically a six months or so booking process. And this was a week or two. So this has changed things, not that you asked, but... <laughs> Oh, no, I'm just going to call Malcolm Gladwell next. It sounds like he has plenty of spare time. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I have noticed that actually. And my access to authors, of course, has expanded because it doesn't matter where they are. I used to really insist that people, not insist, but I used to request that people come over. And that was so nice. And I really got to know people really well. Like one-on-one, we would sit right here. But, but now this is so much more efficient and I can fit in more interviews because it's, anyway, there are pros and cons to everything. But I would still, you know, if I had my druthers sit here next to you instead of on the computer, but it's lovely this way too. (laughs) But you had so many great tips in your book. I'll just like pick out a few that I thought were pretty great. Here's one. You said, here's something major. Well, this is from HBS, which I'm not even sure I learned this, but anyway, you said, here's something major that HBS taught me. You don't need to know how to do things. You need to know how to ask people to do things for you. This is something at which I excel. (laughs) It's true. Well, I was thinking back to this a few weeks ago because I was in a study group actually with our classmate and friend, Lee Carpenter, and I helped organize the study group with Lee. And I think there were probably eight of us in the study group. I was the only one who was not a Baker scholar. Maybe Lee, maybe Lee wasn't, I'm not sure, but everybody else was. So I managed to assemble this incredible group where I probably contributed academically the least, but I managed to learn from incredibly bright people around me. 
And I think that is something to not be ashamed of. You know, people have different skills. And so when we were putting together the business model and the plan for Big Think and Excel spreadsheets, I suck at Excel. It's like, well, why do I have to do this? I can find somebody who knows how to do it and it's going to be a whole lot better than anything I put together. And so that's the approach I've taken. I think it's definitely been humbling over the years to realize how little I do know. But then it's also freeing to understand that there are people out there who can help you and not to be ashamed to ask. And HBS really did teach me that because I did feel oftentimes, the, I think there is an expression like the diversity admit. I came from an artsy background and I was seated next to a, a banker first year from Goldman Sachs and a Navy SEAL. And it's like, how do I belong in this situation? But, you know, it, that did teach me that I did bring something to the table different than these people. And it's not, it's not shameful to ask for help. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything, it might be time to work on those things. And I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because... Even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help, and I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy, and you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. Yeah, we were there just to make their experience better. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I, I don't know. I actually have a really hard time delegating anything. I think that's probably one of my weaknesses. I just feel like by the time I find the right person to do something, I could have just done it 50 times over myself. So I don't know. Do you find, maybe I'm not, I don't know. 
It's my own. Well, I do, I do feel that sometimes myself. I feel if it takes me longer to ask somebody for help or to do something, I'll just do it. But over the years, I, I've realized, you know, so many people I work with can do things far better than I. I mean, I have a company that focuses on video production. Do I know how to set up the camera? No, I do not. <laughs> do I do any of the editing? No. And so it's really like, you know, CEOs of, of most companies, they should understand the process of, of what they're building or the product, et cetera, but they don't need to, they don't need to have to build it themselves. That's true. You can't do everything. Right. <laughs> you had another great idea here where Somebody took a thousand sticky notes with tasks that had to be accomplished, put them all over, and then each day just pulled down one to take off the the list, the to-do list, so to speak. And I was like putting that on my sticky notes here. I was like, oh, this is <laughs> Tell me about that and if you've actually tried it yourself. I have tried it myself. I mean, I should be doing it more these days, actually. But I think it can be really overwhelming when you see, think to yourself, okay, I have to build a business or I have to build this product or something, the finality of it is really overwhelming versus, okay, if I just do call this person today or do one little thing, it feels like you're moving forward. And I think that the building of momentum is fundamental to achieving whatever it is you want to achieve versus it's so easy to just sit like, okay, I want to run a marathon or something. Well, if I just go out and walk 100 feet today and then tomorrow I run 500 feet or something, you're just building the momentum for it and taking those sticky notes off the wall really does feel like you're accomplishing something and I think pushes you forward versus just as I, as I said, the finality of the overwhelmingness of the large project or, or whatever it is you're trying to do seems insurmountable versus one little thing at a time. Although I feel like I would take one down and then think of five other things that I had to do. Like we'd have to start another wall. I feel like you'd have the first wall and then like you'd have to tackle the second wall. (laughs) While things just keep building up. But I love that sort of visual element of it. And I feel like crossing it off the to-do list is sometimes not as rewarding as, you know, if you were to pull it down. So anyway. (laughs) Well, there's actually a book a friend of mine, Kate Milliken, suggested for me, which I bought a couple of weeks ago, which is called Best Self. Do you know that? No. It's a 13-week, this is something which I think is really amazing. It's a 13-week plan for a goal or three goals that you want to achieve. And it's very direct. And I started it yesterday. And I, I think it's, a, it's, anyway, it's called Best Self. It's a very good book. You started the book or you started the 13 weeks to achieving something? It's, it, well, it's a book that is the 13 weeks to achieving something. So it's not like you read this book. It's activities every day. Oh, I see. Get what, to what, are you, what are you trying to achieve? Well, I'm trying to achieve basically how to be in my, I'm a very anxious person and I've been through a lot to cause anxiety and stress. But for me, it's being living in the moment and appreciating the daily things in life versus constantly striving. So my achievement is actually being about less achievement at the moment and just being in the moment and calm. See, this is what it's like going to Harvard Business School. We have, our goals are to achieve less than we're capable of. (laughs) We're just that amazing that we have to slow ourselves down. It's just too much. (laughs) 
Oh my gosh. Well, you kind of slipped in there that you had been through a lot to create anxiety. Like what are some of the things? Is there anything you were thinking of in particular? Is there, was there some sort of experience in general that you feel like has caused a lot of anxiety in your life? Or was that just the, a lot meaning like the business and all the rest of it? Well, I mean, I think overwhelmingly for the past 13 years, it's been the business. And I do want to say that it's given me a profound amount of joy and happiness too. But I think my tendency is to revert to an anxious state of being and a a stressed state of being and planning for the, I mean, hoping for the best, but planning for the worst. And so my go-to is always, okay, so this positive thing that happened. And then I think of 10 negative things that could derail it. And so that's a real challenge for me. And so over the years, I've had gone into many downward spirals when positive things are happening around me and all I see is doom. And I think it was maybe 2013 or 14 that I was in San Francisco with Peter, my business partner, and we were seated at Yerba Buena, this coffee place. And I started talking about all the the problem things that were potentially going to happen into the business and what the investors were going to say and like our clients and our employees. And he, he sat there with no, you know, no joking at all and said, if this is all going to happen, why are we doing this? <laughs> I mean, why don't we just quit? Like, what's, what's the point? And then he pulled himself together and said, you know, Victoria, it's re- been really difficult to be around you for the past six months. It's all negative all the time. I know that your role as CEO is to see the negative things and potential, but you're also supposed to see the positive and be encouraging people and being a cheerleader versus planning for the doom scenario. And you really need to go and get help. And I'm not going to just sit back and observe this any longer. And so at that stage, I had been seeing, you know, casually a a sort of a therapist to just talk about the daily ins and outs. But I found that in therapy, I tended to be a comedian and my job was to essentially make the therapist laugh. And so I would emerge from these sessions being like, well, what was the use of that really? I wasn't very honest. (laughs) I just was about comedy. And so anyway, I ended up going to see a psychiatrist and I went, I was placed on or put myself, I don't know, he placed me on antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication, one and the same. I think it's Wellbutrin. And that really helped me and kind of broke the cycle of the downward doom scenarios. Now, has it made me be the life of the party and the joy and light and airy all the time? No, but it certainly did break a cycle of, of doom. And so I would encourage anybody to do that. But that was the, the kind of the end of the road for, for Peter that really helped me. And I suppose it's like, like addiction. Somebody has to do an intervention sometimes for you to take the steps. That's great. How great that he did that and that you were open and receptive to that feedback as opposed to like storming away from the table, which I could maybe see myself doing in a similar situation. <laughs> like, what do you mean? I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't easy, but I could also know in myself that I wasn't happy. And that feeling of, it, it was inward panic that was 24 hours or whenever I was awake. And you know, the feeling of, of something bad is about to happen in your stomach that just wouldn't leave. So it was un- really unpleasant for me in my own body as well. Oh, I'm really sorry. That's, that's, no, <laughs> yeah. that's no fun at all. And I'm glad you got it. You found a way to manage it and, you know, 
yes, I think therapy is like the greatest thing. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I had been a therapist myself, but anyway, instead I get to hear about other people's therapy journeys and not have to do all the work. So (laughs) I get some perks. What was it like for you going back and sort of reflecting on all your time and then sitting down to write this book? Like, what did that feel like? And how long did it take for you to write the book? Like, what was that process like? Well, it was actually much quicker than I thought because obviously I well not obviously I've never written a novel. I think that requires way 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 more effort because what I was writing was what my, I'd experienced and what I know and the most difficult part for me was figuring out the structure of it because it's as I was began writing I was like is this even interesting? I mean because it's my story, you know, so I was in some ways thinking who is going to care about this? So the most challenging part for me was the structure of it, kind of like in high school or college or whatever, writing an essay, getting down the parts that you want to talk about and then figuring out the order that you're going to tell them in, and then the parts that you need to cut. So I put together a proposal in June of 2019, oh my gosh, and didn't think anything about it. And I submitted it to, I think, around 10 agents cold, and I finally got one. And as they say, and it is true, and I'll encourage anybody who wants to write a book, it just takes one. Nine of 10 publishers rejected it, and the the 10th selected it. It took me three months to write the whole thing. That's fast. (laughs) Well, because, you know, they wanted it, because of the election coming up, it was either going to be pre-election released or post-election release, and so... I didn't know this before writing a book, but the editorial and publishing process is very long. So the whole thing was finished by December of last year. And then obviously there have been tweaks and things to it and then the choosing the book cover and things like that. But the bulk of the work and all the writing was done by December because they needed it done by that. So it was a very, very quick writing process. But I will say that I think had I been given a year or something, I might not have done it. It's kind of like cramming for a, for you know a, a test or something. The fact that I had to do it in such a short time frame meant that I actually did it. It's like that saying like if you give a busy person something to do, they'll do it fast. And like yes, right. It's like if if I have a thousand things to do, then throw it in. I'll make that call. I'll send that email. But on a lazy Sunday, if I'm not doing anything, I like can't even send one email sometimes. <laughs> I remember graduating from HBS in 2003, and as I wrote in the book, I didn't have a job until, I guess, November or something of that year, and I was staying at my sister's house in New York, or apartment, and I remember in the morning getting out of bed and, you, you know, having been at HBS being busy all the time, I found it a struggle to even plan to go to the gym. It's like, it seemed like a huge effort and ridiculous. Yes, I feel the same way. I still sometimes feel like that. It <laughs> <laughs> <gym> was hard. <laughs> yeah, I see what you're saying. <laughs> so what's coming next for you? You have this book coming out, which is so exciting. You're running your business. Like what, what else? What's, what else is coming up? Well, in this book, Best Self, there's this 13-week bucket list, which I'm trying to put my mind to about things I want to do. I really do want to expand into other areas personally as well. I'd love to learn Spanish, which I have never done. I grew up in Canada and studied French for 12 years and I'm in no way fluent in French, which tells you about learning languages in schools. <laughs> I think I have to go and immerse myself somewhere. And so at some point in the next year, I'd like when 
the whole COVID thing hopefully ends. I'd like to go to Spain and learn Spanish and also just be much more open to things other than work. That doesn't mean that work isn't going to be front and center, but it will be alongside other things. So that's really it. This is great. I feel like I caught you at like this major self-improvement moment in your life. Like you're uh, (laughs) trying to do all these different things. It's amazing. It's so great. You mentioned already, you know, it only takes one as advice to aspiring authors. What other advice would you share? I think just keep going. I mean, the hardest part even for me is getting the first few words down. And then once you start writing, it's easier. But the blank page, as I know, much better writers than I even struggle with that. So it's just literally starting. And that's even what I said about with a business. It's just taking taking the leap and, and saying you're going to do it. I mean, that's something else I write about in the book is that if you tell people that you're going to do it, it's really hard to not do it. I mean, if I said to you, I'm about to start writing my second book and in two months you called me and asked how it was going, I'd be slightly abashed if I hadn't even started it. I'm not writing a second book at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) No, I do that too. I'm like, I'm going on this eating plan. I'm telling everybody I know about it and then maybe it will work or something. You know, the more you get it out loud, the the more there's a shot at it. Totally. But it's good and to apply to, to this. And I feel like so many of your tips apply not just to the workplace, but to every aspect of life. I mean, it's really user-friendly. So, I mean, I feel like women are entrepreneurs, even who don't work in the workplace, like just running our lives and for people who have lots of kids and like everything can be like a business. I mean, you know, all the tips are super relevant in any context. So thank you. Thanks for the book and thanks for chatting today. Thanks so much, Zubi. This has been wonderful. Oh, thank you. All right. Take care. Bye, (laughs) Bye, Victoria. Bye. Thanks so much to Mindy Kaling and her book, Nothing Like I Imagined, for sponsoring this episode. You can get it on amazon.com slash Mindy Stories. And again, it's called Nothing Like I Imagined. Go check it out. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.